Welcome to Doha Debates. Each episode, we explore an urgent issue, present two opposing sides on that issue, and try to see where, if any, common ground can be found. We hope to bring you a conversation that's well-informed, spirited, but civil and respectful as well. I'm Karen Given, a journalist and producer who's been working in radio for over two decades. Today, we're looking at gas-powered vehicles. They've been around since the late 19th century, but has their time finally come to an end? Before we introduce our guests, first, a little background. Climate change is very much a factor in people's lives, from rising sea levels to more extreme weather events leading to floods, fires, and droughts. People around the world know that we need to reduce our carbon emissions, and the sooner, the better. Many experts say that killing off gas-powered vehicles would go a long way toward meeting that goal. Transportation accounts for 30% of all global emissions, and three-fourths of that comes from road transportation. After some fits and starts, the electric car market finally seems to have gained a toehold. Globally, in 2021, there were as many electric cars sold in a week as there were in all of 2012. 85% of those sales were made in Europe and China. While some see this as a major milestone, others say we simply don't have the capacity to go all electric. Plus, it's not like electric vehicles don't have their own problems. Electric vehicles can be energy intensive to produce and also contain metals like lithium, cobalt, and magnesium that can be unhealthy to mine. So is it time to move away from gas-powered vehicles or do we need to keep looking for a better solution? Joining us from India to help us answer that question is Akash Ranisan. Akash is a self-described climate optimist who has spent his career advocating for sustainable living. He's also the author of the book, Climate Change Explained for One and All. Welcome, Akash. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on board. Here to argue the other side is Jonathan Miltimore. He's a journalist based in Minnesota. He describes himself as an irreverent writer and Christian libertarian. He's the editor of the Foundation for Economic Education. And a few years back, he wrote an article titled Banning Gas-Powered Vehicles Won't Help the Earth. Welcome, John. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Karen. So, John, you have the provocative-sounding article title. Tell us more about your position and why, despite everything we know about climate crisis, we should still be forging ahead with gas-powered vehicles. Um, well, thank you very much for having me, first of all. It's, it's a pleasure to be here with you. This is a very important topic. Um, I think it's important to acknowledge that we're, you know, we, we want the same things. We just have some fundamentally different views of how to achieve that. The one thing I want to be crystal clear on is, is you know, what we're talking about is banning an, a technology that has improved billions of lives. I, I don't think we a, appreciate enough what the internal combustion engine has done um, for progress. And, you know, today more than a billion people drive gas-powered vehicles. Um, telling people to move off those vehicles, this is no small thing. And, and I don't think people appreciate the enormity of it. People are, are driving gas-powered vehicles for a reason. It's, it's the most affordable option they have. It's the most efficient option they have. And just to tell people, um, no, you can't do that anymore, I think it's not just uh, incredibly arrogant, but, but dangerous. And I think we need to approach this with a little bit more humility. I also think we need to be, you know, honest about some of the things you mentioned, Karen. And just that there are trade-offs in this debate. Thomas Sowell has a great quote. He said, there are no solutions. There's only trade-offs. There's pros and cons to everything. I mean, even if it's just the opportunity cost, right? If you're doing one thing, you can't be doing something else. And I think we we've often forget this with debates around the environment and, and, and climate change. 
with fossil fuels, for some reason, we really focus on their negative impacts and, and we, we, we overlook all they've done for humanity. The truth is millions of people would die if we didn't have you know uh, fossil fuels right now. Um, and with green technology, we, we, we kind of tend to do the opposite. We focus on their positive impacts and ignore some of the more unsavory elements um, that are associated with them. And I think we, you know, I, I look forward to talking about some of those things. As you said, you know, the cobalt and, and some of the other elements you know, that you didn't mention, nickel, copper. Um, do people realize how much copper it takes to, to create a single EV battery? The numbers are, are pretty jaw-dropping. Or how much CO2 it, 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 it takes to create a single Tesla battery. You know, I'd like to have a little bit of discussion around those things and just get people to understand that, look, these, there are trade-offs. Do we have the capacity to add millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of EVs? You know, how are those even being charged? I, I think people plug their, their cars in at night. They don't know where that electricity is coming from. Do people realize it's being charged with, you know, energy from a coal plant up the road or a natural gas plant that they have their own carbon footprint? All right, Akash, I really want to get you in here. Electric vehicles may not be the panacea we all hoped they would be, but should we be putting the brakes on something that's worked for us for over a century? I'm currently in the Indian Himalayas, right? All the glaciers are melting over here. Yes, the car is really good over there, but the glaciers are melting over here. This year is the lowest snowfall we have seen. When I say lowest snowfall, that means no water. Glaciers will melt at a rapid speed because it's much more hotter over here. But at what cost? I'm not here in sympathy with the people who can afford the car. I'm here in sympathy with the people who can't afford the car, the nature and the living beings who can't speak up. And I know electric is not the final solution. Electric is the next step we're gonna take from fossil fuel. My fossil fuel car is my comfort zone. I can go buy a fossil fuel car right now. I do not have a car. I walk, I cycle, I go to places. See, if I don't stop uh, HP, Shell, and the other Indian fossil fuel company, they won't stop. They'll just keep doing the business. If I give them space to slowly stop working on the fossil fuel, they won't ever stop. That's what's happening today. They keep lobbying the government, they keep lobbying the administration, on and on. And you know what Indian companies are doing even in Australia as well, right? So they're going to keep mining. They won't stop. All they care about, how much more money can they make? They won't even be able to spend the money they have already made in the life. But do we really think that the fossil fuel companies have the power to, to stop this innovation from happening, to stop this new market from emerging? Indeed. They can buy the whole government and come to India. Well, that, well I, would, I would say, you know, that, that is a government problem now. And any government that, that is, is preventing innovation, that, that, that's something I certainly oppose. Policy only can change because government will keep taking money. So we want the change in the policy that we have to put a ban because you believe in it, like in India and I know in Africa still, there were cars which are many, many, many decades year old. They are still running on the ground. And obviously they are emitting more carbon than the normal cars. Nobody was going to stop them because India does not have that much money. So we're going to keep reselling our cars to somebody else who can afford that car at some lower price. So they're going to keep running it. One day we had to come up with a law that, okay, sorry, but let's say, for example, the cars between 1999, you can't keep them on road anymore because they're emitting too much pollution out there. And India has three most polluted cities in the world. 
Well, I, I won't pretend to know about Indian politics or, or lobbying over there, but what you're describing is a government problem, right? It, it, this, this, this is a problem with with crony companies taking their dollars, spending, and, and, and asking government officials to put other burdens on this industry. And that is something I, I certainly do oppose. All right. I'm going to break in here because I can tell we're very excited. Um, I know there's a lot to say, but I definitely want to pause and bring in a couple of our younger audience members because these are the people who are going to inherit this earth. um, And we want them to be sure to have a voice here. Joining us from Turkey is Alperin Ahmet Kashsoy. Alperin is especially interested in the topic of energy transition and how that intersects with politics. All right. Please ask your question. Uh, First of all, thank you for having me to the podcast. My question will be about the uh, role of public transportation or urban planning to reduce the uh, dependency on the cars. Do you think that uh, we can solve this problem to to an extent uh, via introducing mass public transportation and uh, making cities more walkable? So what, what is your take on this? Akash, why don't you take it first? That's one of the best thing. I'm 100% in support with it. There's a company called Switch Mobility in India. It has created electric double-taker buses. In one go, it can allow at least, at least 120 people to sit into it. That means at least 60 cars with two people or 120 car with one people in it. And I being the person who walk to countries, who cycles to different countries, I would love to do that, right? And I'm 100% in support with it. And I, we need to put nature in the center and we all revolve around it, right? So I would love it that if we put electric buses on the ground, let people be in the, those buses and metros, buses, whichever fits right to the city. John, where do you fall on this? Yeah, I mean, from a very high level, I think uh, public transportation, it can be more effective in some places than others, right? Um, you know, just here in the United States, we see some cities have pretty good public infrastructure uh, for transportation. Um, but if you look at the sheer size of the United States, um, it's a huge country. And, and most people don't take the bus uh, or the, the, the train to work. Most people are driving cars because they got to they gotta travel so many miles. Um, I think there are places where public transportation can play a, a bigger role. But I'll, I'll, I'll just swing back to, to the other point I made. Um, just because you don't see these costs doesn't mean they're there. There, there was a 19th century economist known as Frederick Bastiat that talked about the seen and the unseen. And we, we tend to just focus on, on the, 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 the costs that we see. Um, don't forget about all these things we don't see. Public tr- transportation comes with all kinds of costs, right? Um, environmental costs, financial costs, like all, all these things that go in. You don't see it as much, right? But let's not forget that all the, you know, it's not just not the emissions from a tailpipe that, that count. So I think at the best case scenario, you can mitigate, you can mitigate some of the, the, the great uh, problems with public transportation, but you certainly can't defeat them. Akasha, I know you want. Go ahead. The point is not to come to a world where there's zero carbon emission. It's impossible. I, while I'm talking to you, I'm breathing out carbon dioxide. So it's not about going to zero. It's about improving. Is electric car, even in long run, is it better than fossil fuel, 0.1% better, 0.00001% better than fossil fuel or not? If yes, I want to improve. One step. Every day when I get a chance to be a little better, I want to do it. 
All right. I also want to bring in Eliala Avenitele. Eliala comes from the tiny microstate of Tuvalu that's out in the Pacific Ocean north of Fiji. As we talked about in the onset, for people living on small islands, climate change isn't theoretical. It's something they are living with now. Eliala, what's your question? I think it's following up to my colleague from Turkey, um, especially coming from a small island state where I am now. We are currently experiencing climate change every day. And I don't know if you have been to Tuvalu, but you would have seen how our islands are eroding, the shores are eroding, and sea level is rising as well as inundation through the lands. And we are facing that every day. So my question to both of you is that there has been some recent research that confirmed in 20 to 30 years, Tuvalu, a small island state where I am living today, will not be suitable to live in because most of everyone will be forced to migrate. There are plans in place that the government has, but I actually want to ask is from all of this information that you guys know about gas-powered vehicles. Do you think gas-powered vehicles highly contribute to carbon dioxide and greenhouse effect? And how in the long run can the world actually get to the goal when our small island countries are not heavily affected or people are not forced to move or to migrate because of how uninhabitable our lands will be due to climate change? Over to you. Who wants to take it first? I I got to go back to saying you know electric vehicles are not a panacea. They're certainly not as far as is carbon savings go. Um, again, they can reduce, and this is what Akash is getting at. We're never going to get zero, but I don't think we can meaningful cha- meaningfully change um, the carbon footprint by by you know changes in in, in automobile driving. Um, I, I think Karen acknowledged some of this in her opening statement um, when you talk about um, motor vehicles. They they account for a certain percentage of of global emissions, um, even if you wipe them out, um, you, you're not talking, you, you know, we're still going to see CO2 emissions go up. Um, and, and like I said, you can't wipe them out without very serious disruption. Um, and, and, and not just financial costs, not just environmental costs, I think I think human costs. And I don't want to minimize uh, the dangers of climate change. Um, but the truth is, we, we don't know yet. And if you look, if you can go back 10 years, if you can go back 20 years, and you look at a lot of the, the, the dire predictions, they haven't come to pass. And that's good. Um, and I think if we do have the right innovation and the right policies, we can deal with, with, with the challenges from climate change that we do encounter. Akash, go ahead. I believe the question itself is a sign that we need to stop whatever we are doing. Why is it possible and how on earth is it, it is possible that a human sitting at his own land where she was born, where her family lives, why are they asking this question? That... Will I have to leave this place and go somewhere else? Why? Who did it? Whom are we blaming for it? It, The land is sinking. Now they don't have the land anymore. Who did it? Who's the biggest carbon emitter out there? And if we know who's that, can we just stop it right now? And on what grounds somebody can ask me, give me some time to just close the business. I'll do it, I'll do it. Just give me a few more years. I'm not able to convince myself. Well, I, I think you did acknowledge yourself, Akash, that we can't we can't simply 
stop carbon emissions. As I said, I, I think you look at human history, we, we've always struggled with, with droughts and floods and things of this nature. Um, and, and, and we'll see. And again, if, if you look, the, the, the sea levels aren't rising at the levels that they predicted decades ago. Like, like, like these are things. And, if, and again, look at the big picture. Like, like I said earlier, it, it, are we seeing some changes in climate change? Yes. Fewer people are dying. Go, go back and look at how many were dying in 1970. Go back to 1950. Go back to 1930. It, it, it's falling precipitously. And it's, it, it, it's falling because we are more resilient to climate than ever before. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to jump in here for just a second. So I I do want to look to the future. We do need to wrap this up. And and John, I just really want to press you press you because Eliala is here to say that she is living somewhere that she might not be able to live 20 years from now. It might go away. And I understand all your points about we're understanding better how to deal with climate change, but if electric cars aren't going to help Eliala do we have anything that can help her? Uh, I, I think I think people need to stop looking for guarantees in life. Um, really, like like it, it's hard. I'm not sure I'll be living in the United States of America in 20 years. Like, like truthfully, like like you look, the world's going crazy, and there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of problems in our world. There's there's more than we can count. Um, climate change seems to get um, to me just an abnormal amount of attention, and this existential threat gives a small group of people the power to, to really control the, the entire economy because everything we do, you know, Akash noted this, everything we do creates carbon, right? We have, and so I think it is a Pandora's box to, to giving people um, control over the economy that they really don't, they, they should not have. You know, where I come from, you know, government originally had a very limited purpose to protect life, liberty, and private property. Um, it wasn't to choose what car we get to drive. It wasn't to choose whether we can have a, a, a hamburger that's made from real meat or, or synthetic meat and all these things. Um, you know, government was, wasn't supposed to get to choose what we eat. Um, and this is the sort of strain of anti-capitalism we see today. They're not trying to control the means of production, right? They're trying to, pr to control what we produce by, 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 choosing what we can consume. And I think that's a far bigger threat than, than, than climate change. And, and I'll go back to what I was saying earlier. Climate change, are we seeing some impact? Yes. But, but again, as Akash noted, it's about human lives. And, and we're more resilient to, to climate change than ever before. And it, I, I think if we, that, that approach is the sound one. Akash, is there a solution to this? Is there a way to move away from gas-powered cars that would cause less of the disruption and pain that John is talking about? Or do we just have to take the pain? See, I totally understand that I won't say, okay, ban it today right now. Just end it here. Obviously, I won't say it. Otherwise, I would have been on road with, my, with a board in my hand saying, just ban it, right? But I support businesses and I understand them. And again, they have the power. They have the uh, financial backing and they have the minds with them, right? That they can innovate it. And I know electric is not the final solution, right? There will be something far better than electric, right? But the point is the philosophy, right? Or the psychology which we are following. We need to change and we need to change quicker. We are waiting for more people to die, right? For more majorly, I should be saying in very out loud, clear words, for more poor people to die so that then we can make the change, right? That is the problem. 
I mean, people are dying in cobalt mines in the Congo, right? Like, like all of this you, to, to, to mine cobalt for EVs. You have children as young as six years old, according to the the Wilson Center, according to Amnesty Inter International. Um, Sixty thousand children working in cobalt mines in the Congo. Lives are lost. Let's not pretend they're not. You you can go see videos of people mining cobalt, and when the, when these mines collapse, it's, it's dangerous. It's hard work. None of this stuff is free. Akash. Two points. First thing, the cause of death is birth. We are born, we will die. That's point there. One. Second point. Here we are talking about fossil fuel cars, electric car. I can come and say there are people dying out of cancer, there are people dying out of AIDS, and n number of problems. Here, we are trying to solve the problem between fossil fuel cars and should be quickly shift to electric and then to next one and then to next one to keep improving quicker so that lesser people will die and lesser people in places where they're living in a small island won't have to leave their places. The point is that people are dying. People are dying anyway. You think you, you think more people have di are dying of climate change today than that are, are dying in, in mines around the world? No, I'm not saying that. I'm else? saying are, are they dying or not? If they're dying, let's focus on it. I'm, I don't want to change the topic. Well, they certainly are dying, yes. Yeah, that I don't want to end this podcast. This podcast was called not about the mining and not about the comparison between the cars. Uh, how many people are dying because of fossil fuel cars or climate change or how many people are dying because of mining? There's not the comparison. Why are we comparing two problems? Which one is the bigger one? There is another panel at this point of time happening on another podcast where they are talking about mining. We need to find a solution for this podcast so that when it ends, that girl is little more peaceful. This guy is little more peaceful. And I'm little more peaceful than even you because you are living in, you, I think, USA. You are not living in a small island. So you're not worried about it. And you have more money than I have and the other people. So that's why you might have the possibility to turn on, turn on an AC when there's more hot uh, weather out there. I don't have the possibility. You know, I, I I think you get it wrong though. I think I think most of the people worried about climate change are people living in first world countries that are very wealthy. They're they're not people. If you look, people living in developing countries are the ones they're least concerned about climate change. They're trying to they're trying to feed themselves. They're trying to earn a living. We've had a great debate today. I really appreciate both of you. Um, and it seems we started with quite a lot of common ground and we ended with less. So I'd like to bring us back to a place of um, of camaraderie um, and, and ask each of you if you've heard something from the other side today that gave you pause or that you're going to be thinking about moving forward. I have one line to say, which is you, ne uh, you never learn anything from someone who agrees with you, right? So I appreciate him being there, him being telling me so many things, what he thinks about it, and it makes me grounded. Uh, this, uh, like hearing from him does help me understand a few things that I do need to give fossil fuel industry a little more time, right? And I'm okay to do it, right? But I really want them to take me seriously as well. I think I need a balance from both the industries, right? That Both the parties, I'm ready to give more time. But can they be more careful and more caring towards other people's life? And I really, 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 I'm happy that he was there. John was there to talk to me on this topic. How about you, John? 
No, I, I echo what Akash said. I, I think challenging our ideas is very important. And I think, you know, we, we did have a, manage to have a very civil converse, conversation. And and uh, if you didn't have a little heat, nobody would watch, right? <laughs> um, so, so, so you need to have some of that. Um, you know, the, the, the point about saving, you know, just one life, here's, here's the thing. I don't think that's humanly possible. And I get why people want to. We, we, we want a better world, right? We want to create a better world. Um, we, they don't have the knowledge to do that. No one does, right? Um, and, and when you start to, to put your, your ends in front of the means and you start to say, well, we want that end and we're going to start to coerce people and make them do this, negative impact tends to happen. And, and that's why I, I'm very concerned. Like, like, like even just the discussion about just, oh, we're just going to ban gas cars. I don't think people appreciate the enormity of that. I want people to think about it that, no, th- th- this isn't a panacea. There are trade-offs and let's acknowledge that. And I'd also like to thank our guests, Akash Ranisan and Jonathan Miltimore, and our young listeners or younger listeners, Alperin Ahmet Kashoy and Eleala Avanitele. Thanks for listening to Doha Debates. I'm your host, Karen Given. Doha Debates is a production of Qatar Foundation. Our podcast is produced by FP Studios and Doha Debates. Our producers include Daniel Dadzi and Katrine Dermody. FP Studios Managing Director is Rob Sachs. Our executive producers are Jafet Weeks, Amjad Atala, and Jigger Mehta. To learn more about Doha Debates, please head to DohaDebates.com, where you can find out more about other podcasts, short films, upcoming events, and more. And please, if you like our podcast, please follow and share your reviews. Thanks for listening. 